Here's the title as you open God's word this morning, 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 7. This is no picnic. This is no picnic. Way back in the 20th, early in the 20th century, the famous Arctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton, he bravely placed an ad in a London newspaper. And the ad read something like this. Listen to this. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter conditions, long months of complete darkness and constant danger. Safe return, doubtful. And yet ironically, thousands of people volunteered to go with him in his journey. I sometimes wonder if the Lord Jesus Christ had placed an ad, and I know there wasn't newspapers around in his day, but if he'd placed an ad looking for disciples, would it go something like this? Men and women wanted for difficult task of building my church. You'll often be misunderstood even by those that work closest with you. You'll face constant attack, often from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor. You may not be fully rewarded in this world, but one day in the next world, you will. It may cost you so much. It may cost you your will, your ambitions, and even your life. I wonder this morning, can we honestly say in our hearts to the Lord, to words like that, Lord, we're willing for that. Because let me remind you again today that the Christian life is no picnic. Whether you're living in Afghanistan where it's certainly no picnic, or here in Ireland, it's certainly no picnic living for Jesus. Last time at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 1, you couldn't help but sense the disappointment in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Do you remember what was happening? Believers were deserting Paul. They were deserting the cause of the gospel. And they lived in the Roman province of Asia. But they were disappearing like snow off a ditch, as we would say. But there was one bright, encouraging exception to all this. And that was the guy that we thought about last time, Onesiphorus. Remember, he was a breath of fresh air. But now as Second Timothy chapter 2 opens. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's urging him to be strong in the Lord. Timothy is the young guy starting out, the apprentice, so to speak, in gospel ministry. Paul is the aged guy who has lots of years under his belt, and the aged guy has given advice to his young apprentice about gospel ministry. And look what he says in the opening verse of 2 Timothy 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Also bear in mind that Paul over in chapter 4, verse 9, urges Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Paul is urging Timothy to visit him imprisoned in Rome. And remember, Paul was imprisoned, ironically, get this, Paul was imprisoned for doing the very thing that he is now in going to encourage young Timothy to do for the gospel's sake. Any wonder, any wonder, he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ. 
Jesus. He's going to teach Timothy and teach us in these opening seven verses of 2 Timothy 2 that the Christian life is no picnic. It's tough being a Christian. It's tough nailing your colors to the mast and saying, I am truly sold out to the Lord. I am truly on the Lord's side. Look at this first point. Paul is using four vivid pictures to teach us that the Christian life is no picnic. What we're going to do this morning is one by one, we're going to take a look from this passage at these four pictures. And the challenge for me, the challenge for you joining us, whether live stream here in the building, the challenge is how do we measure up? Here's the first picture, picture one. The discipling teacher, the discipling teacher. Look at verse two. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. What's the picture there in verse two? It's the picture of a teacher who in turn teaches others, who in turn then teach others God's word as well. And as Paul looks to the future, he is passionate about the gospel. And he's passionate both about preserving the gospel, and as we thought in a previous message, about passing on the baton of the gospel as well. The things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. The, the primary application is to pastor teachers in the church today. Do you remember what happened in the day of Pentecost? It's incredible. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were born again of God's Spirit and became little baby Christians. And what did the early church do? They didn't sit on their hands. They didn't sit in their laurels and say, we've got 3,000 new converts. What did they do? Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles started teaching these new converts. Of course, they didn't have a full Bible the way you and I did, but Peter, James, and John probably repeated to these new converts the teaching of Jesus. Do you know, if you go through the Acts of the Apostles, you will discover that the apostles spent more time preaching and teaching God's Word than they did anything else in that incredible book that we call Acts. That is how people grow as believers, as followers of Jesus. The things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who are qualified to teach others. But another application of verse 2 is for parents to their children. Parents here today, do we teach our children the Word of God? As George was sharing about the importance of teaching the Bible, when did we as parents, grandparents, last read our children God's Word? Later on in this book, Paul reminds Timothy that he had that privilege from childhood. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.15. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Our kids learn so much 
But are they learning about Jesus? Are they learning about the Bible? Are they learning God's precious word? But not only should pastor teachers take verse 2 to heart, not only should parents take verse 2 to heart, all Christians should take verse 2 to heart. Look what somebody has said. Here's the quotation. The task of the local church is not to preserve the truth as in a museum, but to live it and to teach it to generations to come. Unquote. That is God's plan to grow Kilkenny Presbyterian Church. And yet one of the difficulties that we struggle with, and maybe I put some of it down to COVID, but not all of it down to COVID, is inconsistency in church attendance. I want to say it's brilliant that you're here today. And your presence on the Lord's Day, your presence on a Wednesday night is such a blessing. But can I encourage us, hopefully now as we slowly and carefully move out of lockdown, Endeavor to be here every week that God's Word is taught. Endeavor to have your children at Sunday school every Sunday. Endeavor to have your children at the youth organizations every time that they are happening. Hebrews 10, 25, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approach. That's the first picture a discipling teacher. But let's look at the second picture that Paul gives Timothy. Look at picture number two. There it is, the dedicated soldier. Go to the next verse, verse three. Look what he says in verse three to Timothy. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. People often wonder where preachers get their sermons from. I've heard people say to me over the years, where do you get your inspiration from? And I sometimes wonder, where do I get my inspiration from? But you know where Paul got his inspiration, to use this analogy of a Roman soldier? He was literally chained 24-7. He had a visual aid sitting beside him. A Roman soldier, he was chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier. And as Paul sat there, and as he said, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I reckon this is how Paul's brain was working. Hang on, this Roman soldier, this is an illustration of what every Christian should be. And remember, he's writing to Timothy, who is naturally timid, who's naturally not up front, who's naturally sort of a bit reluctant. And he's saying, Timothy, you and every Christian endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But look at something in verse 3 in your Bible there. Endure hardship with us. Did you notice the little word us that the NIV uses? In the original, it goes like this. Endure hardship together. Now, there's something rich in that, and don't miss that, because when we go through tough days, what do we need? We need brothers and sisters in Christ to endure hardship together with us. I wonder where God places you Monday through to Friday in his providence. Are you the only Christian? And when you endure hardship You're not together with any other Christians. You're very much feeling as if you're by yourself, and that's tough. Do you remember how Elijah felt? He felt he was the only one. 1 Kings 18 verse 12, 
when he was running away in fear from Jezebel, what did he say? I alone am the only one left. And yet, thankfully, there were 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Endure hardship with us together. We need brothers and sisters, especially as soldiers of Christ, when we're enduring hardship. Let me give you another translation. Listen to this. Take your share of rough treatment. Have you taken your share this week of rough treatment because your allegiance is to him? the Lord Jesus Christ. But he gives us a second verse about a soldier. Look at verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. That word involved, it's one of those words in the Bible that there's a word picture behind. And I remember, I know you'll find this hard to believe, when I was a wee fella, I remember getting tats in my hair. That's what we called them in County Antrim. You get one of those wee things in your hair and you couldn't get it out and your mum got a comb. Do you remember that? And your hair was all twisted up or maybe you got chewing gum or something like that. Please don't try this at home, by the way. But you got something in your hair that you shouldn't get in your hair and your mum sat with you and she got a comb out and she tried to get it all out. It was all twisted up. It was all entangled. And that's the picture. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved. The word is entangled in civilian affairs. You know, there's lots of examples in Scripture of guys that were trying to serve the Lord who got entangled in civilian affairs. Samson in Judges 16, God used him in remarkable ways and yet he had a very dubious past and he got entangled with a lady called Delilah that he shouldn't have got entangled with. Lot in Genesis 19 was Abraham's nephew. He looked towards Sodom and eventually he pitched his tent towards Sodom and eventually we find him living in the city of Sodom. He got entangled in it. Here's the application. Look at this statement. Watch out for the things that entangle you. What's entangled you? What's entangled me? Are some people entangled in dishonoring business deals? Are some people here entangled in relationships that's displeasing to the Lord? Are some people entangled in sinful practices of going to websites that are certainly not helpful and beneficial for Christians? No one serving as a soldier gets involved, entangled in civilian affairs. Why? He wants to please his commanding officer. That's the bottom line. Do you remember how the writer to the Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 12 verse 1? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Hear that this morning. I'm preaching to myself and I'm preaching to you. The sin that so easily entangles. I was just chatting to somebody the other day who uh, started out in theological college with me years and years and years ago when Adam was a boy. And you know, there was 25, there was 25 students for PCI ministry. 
Do you know how many are still in gospel ministry today? Ten. Now some have felt God call them to other things and I, that, that's grand. But I say this with a broken heart and I say this knowing the weaknesses of my own life. Some of them have got entangled in civilian affairs. The dis discipling teacher, picture one. The dedicated soldier, picture two. Here's the third picture that Paul gives Timothy and us, the disciplined athlete. Look at verse five. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The Greeks, the Romans, were enthusiastic about their sport. And every athlete knows that if he's going to be a winning athlete, he has to have the proper diet. He has to take lots of exercise and also lots of rest. And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 of the, the Christian athlete. And he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Folks, we're in training. There's nothing wrong with going into physical training. It's good to look after your body. But even more important than that, we're in spiritual training. And every Christian should want to be, long to be, hunger to be godly. And I want to tell you, there is no shortcuts, according to my understanding of Scripture, of becoming godly. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, that word compete, do you know what it means? It means to wrestle and to struggle. Look at these words. Look, look them up on the screen. Believers do not become godly by accident. We don't fall into sanctification. In fact, it's my theological uh, conviction that sanctification is something we grow into day after day after day in the Christian life through the knocks, through the hard times, through the good times. We read God's Word, we pray, we rely on Jesus, we repent, we come back to Him again and again, and we grow in grace. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. This is God's rule book for me and from you. And you know, people would have looked at Paul. Do you know the word that they would use of Paul? They would say, loser. And from a human perspective, Paul was a loser. There was nobody in the grandstands cheering him on. Where was he? He was in a Roman prison. He was facing death. He was being deserted. Guys were jumping ship right, left, and center, deserted him, deserting him. But here's what matters. From heaven's perspective, Paul was a winner. Why was he a winner? Well, look at verse 5. He was going to receive the victor's crown. I want to encourage you. The Christian life is no picnic. But if you're faithful to Jesus, one day on the last day, believers will receive rewards in heaven. What are these rewards? They are pictured in Scripture as crowns. And the humbling thing is we will not walk around heaven saying, look at me. Oh, I've got four crowns. She's only got two. The irony will be we will cast our crowns before him as our expression of worship 
and adoration and love to the Lord. The Christian life is no picnic. Discipling teachers, how do we measure up? Dedicated soldiers, how do we measure up? Disciplined athletes, how do we measure it up? Here's the fourth picture, the diligent farmer. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. That word hardworking, it literally has the picture of laboring to the point of exhaustion. The farmer works long and hard, plowing and planting. And what does he do? He goes home in the evening absolutely exhausted. But you know, back in biblical times, farm laborers were often paid with a portion of the crops that they had planted, cultivated, and harvested. And so the hardworking farmer received not only a share, but the first share. As verse 6 says, Here's the point of application. In Christian living, the reward comes at the end of the age, not at the end of the meeting. Believer, remember you are sowing as a diligent farmer in light of eternity. So four pictures. Teacher, soldier, athlete, farmer. Let me apply all this. Look very quickly at the second point this morning. Professing Christian, how does the life you are living measure up against these four biblical pictures? And I reckon that's what Paul is saying. Look at verse 7 as he concludes these seven verses. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into it. In other words, he's saying, chew this over, think this through. Let me quickly ask this question. What do these four pictures, teachers, soldiers, athletes, and farmers, all have in common? Let me give you three things. Here's the first thing. They all involve sacrifice and hard work, don't they? Here's the second thing they all have in common. They all pass on to the next generation something. Teachers to pupils, drill sergeants to recruits, coaches to athletes, and farmers to their sons or daughters. And the third thing is, they all only see results if they keep on keeping on, if they persevere. So believer, as you and I in God's goodness and God's providence face the exciting prospect of living another week for Jesus, are we living as discipling teachers? Are we living as dedicated soldiers? Are we living as disciplined athletes? Are we living as diligent farmers? You see, the Christian life is no picnic. But I must balance this because the Christian life is eternally, hear me, eternally rewarding. There's a lovely story told of a missionary couple. You maybe heard this story before. They were called the Morrisons. They were from America originally. And they'd given the Lord 40 years, 40 years of their lives on the mission field. And they found themselves on a ship going home. They were sailing into New York Harbor. They were going to retire. But they discovered halfway through the voyage home that the president, who was then Roosevelt, President Roosevelt was on board. So all the ordinary passengers were told, when you come to New York, you guys have to wait. 
while Mr. President and his wife, First Lady, and all the folks with them get off first. And so they were able to stand on the side of the ship and watch the spectacle, this spectacular view of Mr. President being welcomed home. He'd been on holidays for two weeks and he was being welcomed home. There was a brass band. The mayor was there. All the dignitaries were there. There was such a commotion for the president coming home from holidays. He'd been away for two weeks. And a couple hours later, after everybody was moved away, Mr. and Mrs. Morrison got off. There was nobody there. Nobody there to welcome them home. They had a few possessions. They got a bus to the little house they were going to rent in their retirement. They went into the little humble house. They threw their few worldly possessions down on the bed. And Mr. Morrison said to his wife, it's not fair. And she said, dear, what's not fair? The president goes on holidays for two weeks and everybody comes out to welcome him home. We give the Lord 40 years of our lives in Africa and we come back to America and nobody's here to welcome us home. And his wife, who was a wise woman, said, but dear, we're not home yet. The Christian life is no picnic. But brothers and sisters, hear me. Cheer up with us this morning. Hear me. We are not home yet. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will. So tomorrow, young people, if they give you a tough time because of your allegiance to Jesus, just remember, you're not home yet. If you're getting a tough time from a family member because of your biblical convictions and your love for God's word, remember, we're not home yet. But one day we'll be home. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Can I ask you, are you sure? When you meet Jesus, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or will he say, depart from me. I never knew you. It will be worth it all, believer, when we see Jesus. If you're not a Christian, Folks, this is on my heart this morning. If you're not a Christian, you need to become a Christian. And this world is not our home. There is no place, no place. You've seen nothing yet. You watch those programs on television about homes that cost a million pounds. Listen, you've seen nothing yet compared to heaven. So make sure you're going there because heaven is too good, too good to miss out on.